today, I want to talk about adversity. I want to talk about it through the life of Joseph and Peter and David. I'll talk about it in a number of different ways, but I want to talk about how we handle it too, because how we handle it could make or break our witness. Welcome to the Where the Wild Things Aren't podcast this week. And last week I took the week off, had so much going on that I was just unable to get to a podcast. I hope it didn't offend anyone. I do thank everybody that does listen. And again, I'll tell you like I told you before, I do this just as an outlet for me. Not that I don't enjoy sharing God's word and talking with other ministers and spending some time doing it. I just record my thoughts, record the conversations in my own head, and hopefully it helps someone else. Um, this is sort of a audio diary for me in some ways, the things that are heavy on my mind uh, as I go through things. And I have had a lot happening mentally over the last couple of weeks and uh, got really thinking about some things. And I want to talk about witness I want to talk about adversity. I want to talk about a couple of different cases that we have examples of how situations were handled the wrong way and opportunity was missed possibly and and, and not my own situations. I want to look at a couple of situations in scripture because I think one of the things um, that happens in life, I've been there, we've all been there. It's this idea of how to respond in false accusations. Um, The reason that it's been on my mind lately is because of politics, and I don't really enjoy politics. I used to really enjoy politics, and the more time goes by, the more I'm pulling myself farther and farther away, and The reason that this has been so prevalent in my mind is because over the last few years, we've watched um, politicians get accused of things, whether right or wrong. We've watched uh, athletes, movie stars. We, We see people accusing others of things constantly. Everyone is living in this world together, and many are acting in the spirit of Potiphar's wife, so to speak. Um, and I want to talk about that today. And I also want to take that story of Joseph and I want to compare it to another story in the new Testament where we see a reaction that's not like Joseph's and what we can learn from that as far as how we maybe should handle circumstances being the accused or the accuser and what it says to us in scripture as far as setting the example for others. So bear with me as I talk about this today, but I first want to talk about the fact that we see the story of Joseph in the Old Testament where Potiphar's wife continually pressures him and says, lie with me, lie with me, lie with me. And then one day she gets her golden opportunity where everyone is out of the home but Joseph. He walks in, he comes into her and she says, lie with me and he runs but in the process of running he leaves his overcoat he leaves his outer garment and uh, 
she uses and seizes this opportunity to then falsely accuse him of trying to take advantage of her. And in the story that's there, it's in Genesis 39, if you want to look it up. And I don't want to spend a whole lot of time on that one, because that's what we're talking about in church uh, right now. And um, I just preached a whole sermon on it. But two, I, I really want us to think in deeper terms and more put ourselves in the situation. Like if we were in the situation of Joseph, what would we do? Well, folks, we watch movie stars, actors, actresses, uh, politicians in the last 10 years, we have seen a, a, a growth in that quote fall from grace that's happening around us, um, especially in the last five to 10 years where now anything and everything is on the table, including something that happened 60 years ago, can be brought up. And we're watching people who have maybe made a mistake in a younger life and in the younger days. And, and now all of a sudden, rather than forgive, we feel that we need to tear people apart and rip them to shreds, much like Potiphar's wife. See, the situation is, it may not even be that that person did anything. There are false accusations that happen around us each and every day. I've been through my share of false accusations, and but just as many false accusations as there are out there I would also venture to say that there are many accusations that are 100% true. The reality that we've got to come to understand, number one, is we will be held responsible for our actions. Anything that goes unrepentant, anything that we do not take before the Lord and pray over and seek his face and then we 100% can be held accountable for it. And I've talked about this before where, you know, in the life of David, the situation with David and Bathsheba, I think that's a good example for me to start with. And then I'll get into these others as we talk. But the thing about David and Bathsheba was David did wrong. David took Bathsheba, who was another man's wife, brings her into his home and he lies with her. She becomes pregnant. So the first thing he does is he says, I've got to cover this up. So he sends for the husband, brings him home, and the husband does not want to go in and lie with his wife because he doesn't think it's fair to the men that are on the battlefield. So he sends Uriah back into the battle with a note that tells them to basically send him to the front line and retreat, leaving him wide open to be murdered, and he was. See, David thought he had gotten away with it. Uriah's life was over. He could take Bathsheba as his wife, the grieving widow who needed a home and the king graciously giving it to her. But then there's a man named Nathan in this story, and he comes to David and he says, essentially, the Lord knows what you've done and you must repent. And at that moment, it says that David repented and he recognized and he says, I have sinned against God. 
Now, I use that story to contrast the story of Joseph. Why? Because of the things that Joseph says and the things that David should have said. Certainly, David probably knew the story of Joseph. David probably knew about how a young man was sold by his brothers into slavery, who was then sold by those to Potiphar, and he became a servant in Potiphar's house. And even Potiphar saw that Joseph had God working in his favor. And so it says that he could see the favor of God upon Joseph and therefore he put him as overseer in his home. Folks, when we see the favor of God on people today, do we trust them to take responsibility for things that we think? Because we know they're going to handle it the right way. We know they're going to do things the proper way. It's going to bless what they are doing because God will bless them and bless through them. I, I'd venture to say that these days we, it's, it's, we, we joke at them, we laugh at them, we rip them apart. We do what we can to destroy them. But we can take example from the life of Joseph because Joseph remained pure in these things and then even when he would step into the home he made sure but you know he had a slip he didn't do anything wrong but he went into the home when no one else was there but Potiphar's wife he found himself alone in a situation with someone who had been actively pursuing him and he kept saying no he kept telling her no and he told her no in this instance but what it taking place is now there are no witnesses and Joseph was still just a slave in the house of Potiphar so therefore he had no value other than Potiphar saw the favor of the Lord on him and maybe that's what saved his life because they could have easily taken his life for the accusation left him there and nothing could have but God had a plan so he gets put in prison and because of again the favor of God on Joseph the governor in the prison then puts him in charge of the prisoners. And we just see this circle of events that just continually, the ball just keeps rolling in favor of Joseph because of Joseph being upright with God. But just as the same with Joseph, where he's being favored by God because he is upright with God, what we see is that we too, if if we're following the plan that, if we seek him, if we live according to his will and his, and his um, plan, then God will favor us also. Because the reality is, is that the prosperity that comes from God is not a prosperity gospel conversation. It is the prosperity that God has for those who are surrendered to him. They will get what they need, not what they want, but what they need. But what they need is what they want because they're following God and his will, his plans will prosper, not ours. And see, that's something we've got to understand. See, what happened with David was David forgot what Joseph went through. David went and instead of being where he was supposed to be, was probably where he shouldn't. David maybe should have been on the battlefield with the soldiers, but yet he was at home standing on the roof watching a woman bathe and then giving in to the temptation 
Now, that's not to say we won't make mistakes in life. David is a prime example of the fact that we can come back around and God can forgive the sins and the mistakes that we've committed when we get ourselves straightened up on the way. But see, I want to contrast not necessarily Joseph to David. I want to contrast Joseph to Peter. Because I did say it would be a New Testament example. Joseph was doing what he was to do. He was trusting God. And we see in Genesis 50, 20, he replied to his brothers and said, what you intended for harm, God intended for good. So he recognized, and I talked about that with the but God moment a few weeks ago. But I want you to recognize something different here, and that is that he was being blessed in the moment. Even in the accusation, he maintained his dignity with God. But Peter, on the other hand, is the example we can use to show that even when we do compromise our dignity and our integrity, there's forgiveness that will be coming our way. What do I mean? Well, Peter, as I've talked about before, is standing around a campfire, around a charcoal fire. It, it points that out to us. There's two places we see charcoal fire mentioned. One is when Peter is denying Christ. The other is when Peter is being reinstated by Christ. And it's beautiful bookends to a mistake. See, Peter was told, you're going to deny me. Jesus said, you're going to deny me before the cock crows three times. You will deny me. So Peter standing around the fire even takes it so far as to cuss. To prove that he is not. The one they think he is. See, there's a difference in the stories, too, though. The accusation on Joseph was false. He remained in his truth. And eventually we see God rise him back to power within the Egyptian government to the point where he can save his family. Peter was accused of something that was true. And he denied it. He lied. He went so far as to lie to try and prove his innocence. Of which he was guilty. How many times is it that we do this? We do something we know we shouldn't do and we get defensive and we we forget everything about who we should be. It's interesting because when we think about that and we think about how all that plays out, it's night and day. But then I look at Scripture through a throughout i mean it's not the only time that peter would make a mistake peter also when god laid a sheet in front of him and told him to pick anything to eat he said i can't it's unclean god replied with do not call anything i've created unclean i want to talk about that too because not only do we have the spirit of potiphar's wife where we're falsely accusing people of things that they haven't done 
to get our way because we just don't agree with things or where we are rightly accusing someone with the intent of drawing them out and maybe making them an example. You know, I'm comparing this to Joseph and Peter, not necessarily the others, but we each make mistakes. We've we've messed up. We've we've fallen short of the glory of God. And thankfully, the glory of God is much bigger than my mistakes and your mistakes. But what's happened here in us is we've lost sight of what's truly important. Now, I want to go back to the the thing with Peter in the sheet. And I want to say it this way because I think it opens up another avenue for us to conver- to have a conversation about this just real quickly. But understand what I'm saying here. In the midst of the others, we're, it's about upholding our dignity or not. It's about being truthful and, and resilient in the process of who we are. But when someone rightly accuses us, many times we get defensive. We can either act like David or we can act like Peter. Because David replied immediately and said, I have sinned against the Lord. Peter, on the other hand, said, I do not know him. And if it's that easy for Peter to say, I do not know him, then how easy might it be for us in those key moments of our lives to say the same? But I want to go back to the sheet because I want to talk about the fact that Peter called what God had given him unclean. And God says, do not call anything I've given unclean. It brings me to a new perspective of the Christian walk. And that is... Not only should we be truthful and honest about things, not only should we avoid putting ourselves in circumstances that cause us um, possibly undue grief or a possible accusation, even though nothing took place. Perception is reality in the eyes of those who perceive. And when we look at all of these things and we think about the adversity they bring, the other is when we have days where We don't have control over the circumstance. The weather is probably the biggest one that comes to mind for me. Because people like to get caught up in this. And I want to, this is where I'm I'm really struggling when it comes to me fully comprehending what it means to be a part of the kingdom of God. Because I feel much like Peter with the sheet. I look at a day where it's snowy or rainy and I think to myself or I think out loud or I even vocalize it to some. Talk about how miserable the day is or maybe in my own life, certain circumstances happen and I talk about how miserable my life is. I put myself down or I put down the day. I call it unclean or unfavorable or I say, you know, with let's just you're a summer person you enjoy the summer maybe the spring is okay fall is a little rough but you get through it but winter you hate you despise it because you just do not like the weather you have no control over the weather nor does any other human being the weather is controlled by the father who gives according to what he knows is needed and he's taking care not only of you but his whole of creation flooding is another situation see 
what we fail to do in those circumstances is recognize what the situation is and who it was given by. Now, I'm not saying that God is going to send a flood to kill people. The devil is just as capable, apparently, according to the book of Job, of making things look like God did them. Those acts of God, according to the insurance company. And I get that. But to see a snowstorm and the beauty that comes with a snowstorm or just a few flakes of snow, just the beauty of the seasons changing, the things that it means and the recognition that God is that much in control, that these things happen to keep the ecosystem exactly the way it should be because of God. And we get negative about the weather. We get negative about the circumstance we find ourselves in. We get negative and put it down. The reality simply is this. Are we doing what Peter did with the sheet? Are we calling what God has created and given unclean or filthy? Or are we calling it negative? Are we letting it cause us misery? In essence, denying him. Rather than praising him for what he's showing us in that moment. Now, I know that might be an extreme conversation, but it's the same with other people. It's the same when we put others down, when we tear others apart because they fall short of our glory. We think we set a high standard for them or we measure them according to a standard that's not biblical. Whatever the case might be, it doesn't matter. The reality simply is, are we calling God's creation unclean? Are we coming in direct opposition with God because, well, it just doesn't fit my needs in this moment? Well, the reality is, in some ways, yes. And the reason I say that is because what all of this comes down to for us today, when we face adversity of any kind, whatever the adversity might be, be it a false accusation, be it the weather, be it a circumstance that's beyond our control, be it cancer or COVID or whatever it might be that's causing problems for you in your life. If you don't take a moment to sit back, relax and look for the Lord in the circumstance. See what he might be trying to do, what he might be trying to work through and bring you out of. See what the exit might be from the temptation that you're facing. Reality speaking He's promised us that we will be facing trouble. He said, in this world you will have trouble, but fear not, I've overcome the world. He didn't say we wouldn't have the trouble. He said, don't fear when you face it. It it really kind of, there's a lot of scripture that speak to you in different ways than it ever has before. Maybe you've read it 30 times and, not, and in the 31st time you read it, you see something that you've never seen before. And and John chapter 6 has one of those moments for me that recently I, I saw something for the first time in it. And, I, and I've talked with others who have said the same thing. Um, in fact, it was an older gentleman in our congregation when I brought this up in service one night who brought it up and said, you know, I've never thought of it and noticed it this way until tonight. But in John chapter 6, I believe it's in verses 20, 21, somewhere in that neighborhood. Number one, 
I went back to the original text and I looked to see what the literal translation of the words Jesus said as he's walking on water. See, John doesn't talk about Peter in his account of the walking on water. But what we do see is that he accounts for the words that Christ says. And they were covered in fear because they see what maybe they appear think is a ghost or maybe it's the power of God that causes fear within them because they recognize that Jesus is the Lord of creation walking on the water and defying gravity. But he says, it is I, do not be afraid. The literal translation of those first few words of that are simply, I am. It's a literal translation. He literally just says, I am. He, he, there's a beauty in that. The literal translation of what is said there that John documents is, I am, making that an I am statement. Almost quite literally making it one of the I am statements. I don't think he had to say any more than that. But he says, I am, do not be afraid. And then it gets even more beautiful. It then says that they welcome him into the boat. Basically, their fear is gone. They welcome him into the boat. And then the second miracle takes place. And this is the part that has I hadn't seen before too long ago myself as a as a pastor. I've read this I don't know how many times. I've looked at the story of Jesus walking on water in all the Gospels. And it never stuck out to me like it did just in the last few months. And when I shared it. As I said, there was an older gentleman in the congregation who said that it was the first time he'd ever noticed it. We typically get used to that story out of Matthew or out of Mark where we hear the story, but it's got Peter. Peter walks on the water, too, and he sinks because he's paying attention to the storm. In this one, it's literally saying that Jesus is walking on the water. He says, I am. Do not be afraid. And then it says they welcome him in to the boat. And then it tells us that immediately they reached their destination immediately the boat was where it needed to be they reached the land they were headed to when Jesus entered the picture it tells us before that that they had gone three or four miles probably in circles it's dark it's stormy they're in the middle of the Sea of Galilee, which at the location that this that this took place, it's possible that it may not even be three to four miles from each other across the Sea of Galilee. It was for sure walking distance in a night if Jesus were to walk his way over. They weren't very far from where they wanted to go. But it says when they had gone three or four miles, then Jesus walks on the water to them. In other words, were they headed in the wrong direction? None of that's told. But when he reaches the boat and he steps in, they reach the destination. They immediately end up where they're supposed to be. Folks, that is our life with Christ. We are getting in the boat. And we're setting sail on our own, trying to do anything in our power in the midst of the darkness and the storms of this life.
and we constantly are rowing and going and doing and we're caught up in the storm we've gone three or four miles of our storm of the life of however far we're trying to go we we we've gotten ourselves basically out into the middle where we have no way of knowing where we're at because it's dark it's stormy and all of a sudden the savior comes into view and we're terrified not necessarily because of the storm but maybe because of the power of god but whatever the case might be we become terrified in the circumstance see that boat that storm that is our adversity and when we welcome jesus into the storm into the adversity, into the boat, we immediately reach our destination. Because he's not messing around. Jesus stepped into the boat. They welcomed him in and immediately they reached their destination. That's something for us to think about today because the moment that you have that encounter with Christ, the moment that that encounter takes place, he comes into your life. He comes into your world. He gets in your boat. You reach the place you're supposed to be. He puts you back on course. He takes you to the destination. He gets you through the storm and immediately on safe ground. What John tells us in John chapter 6 is a beautiful telling of salvation in the story of Jesus walking on water. See, think about it. Our storms our circumstances, we would be left to drown if we stepped out of that boat on our own. But with our eyes on him, Peter got out of the boat and was able to walk. But Jesus is the ultimate overcomer. See, what's even more beautiful about the story is that it happens directly after the feeding of the 5,000. When they were the people who saw the miracle of him feeding 5,000, wanted to make him king. They wanted to do something that was not part of God's plan. So Jesus withdrew to the mountain to pray, to get away with God and to trust in the plan of God. Well, those 5,000 left. It left 12 men in a boat. And even then, they got in the boat and headed back and figured they'd just catch up with him later. And in the middle of the night, Jesus comes walking across the storm, across the waves, doing something that he shouldn't have been able to do unless he's the Lord of creation and has power over it. And he walks to the boat and they welcome him in. He greets them with, I am, do not be afraid. They welcome him into the boat. And immediately they reach their destination. Because that's the power of God through Jesus Christ. That's the power we can tap into today. So my question to you as I close this today is this. How do you handle adversity? Are you handling it with grace and with dignity as Joseph did? Finding that even in the midst of a prison setting in your life, even in the midst of captivity, you find that trusting God means that one day you'll be able to do what he's promised you. 
You trust in his plan. You trust in his promises. You trust in his guidance and leadership. Or maybe you're like David and you need to repent of a sin, of a mistake, and you just need to call out and say, I have sinned against God. Or maybe you're like Peter and in that moment you've gotten defensive, but yet there's going to come a day where Jesus looks at you and says, do you love me? Then feed my sheep. Or maybe you don't know him at all, but you're in that boat and you're struggling and striving, trying to do it all on your own. And the Savior's walking across the waters to you, calling out, saying, I am enough. I am the Lord. I am your lifeboat. I am your, your light. I am your way, the truth, your life. I am everything you need. Are you going to welcome him into the boat? See, there's a lot of things that are happening here. But what does your adversity look like? The reality simply is this, is that whatever you're going through in this life right now, know this. It may not be because you've done something wrong. It might not be that you've done anything wrong, just like Job. But it might be that how you handle the circumstance is that what God needs for someone else to see the power of his grace and mercy. They see you handling the circumstance with grace and dignity. They see you handling the opportunity and praising the Lord through it, knowing that he is in control and he has it covered. And somebody else is watching you. They're seeing what you're going through. In fact, maybe they've been through it themselves and they don't understand how you are holding together so well when you're not. It's the power of God in you, the spirit that's working in you, that's helping you hold it together. It could be that the trial you're going through is to benefit someone else to see the glory of God. Because ultimately everything's about his kingdom. It's all about bringing his kingdom to life in each one of us who calls ourselves a believer, who is a follower of Christ, who is a child of God. Jesus said, I'm bringing this kingdom to you. It's not just near, it's now here. It's, it's, it's on this earth. And your job is to bring as many in as you can. With the help of the Holy Spirit. He didn't even send them out until the Holy Spirit fell. He told them to go and wait until it did. And then go and teach and do and whatever. Because he promised to never leave nor forsake them. Had, had they gone out and tried to talk about Jesus without the Holy Spirit, without the helper that he promised to send, they would have fallen flat on their face. But the reality is that they didn't. They waited until the helper came. They found him in the place that he told them to meet him. And, and he fell like fire on them. And they went and spoke the truth. And it's nothing about what we do that brings anyone to the kingdom. It's all about what he does in us. And if we're going to share the gospel with someone, it's got to start with us being in it, being ready, being versed in it, and him living in us as the helper, the Holy Spirit alive. And that's what will draw them in. Folks, we just got to tell them about Jesus. And we got to live like we believe it. Live like we believe the words that he shared with us in the teachings of the Savior.
What does that mean? It means we read the scripture, we stay in the word, and we live according to it. Knowing that our plans may not happen, but his plans always will. Knowing that our needs will be taken care of even if our wants are left wanting. But there's a beauty in all of this, folks, and it all ties together beautifully. Maybe your adversity is for someone else today. I would advise you to do the best you can to handle it with dignity and grace. To love those that persecute you. To love those that come against you. To show the love of Christ to the world around you. It might mean that you don't get upset in that circumstance. It might mean that you don't complain about the weather. It might mean that you don't complain about the situation you found yourself in. It might be that you show grace and love to someone you consider an enemy. But it might be just like what God told Jeremiah. You know, go into the courtyard and speak the words I give you. Hold back nothing. Do not hold back a single word. And what the reasoning for that was, was because God said, maybe they'll hear, maybe they'll listen, and maybe they will turn from the wickedness they are in. Folks, if you're not sharing Christ with the world today, if you're out there angrily touting Christ, you're not sharing him. We've got to stop being so angry and bitter while claiming his name. When it comes to the things of this world. It's all in how we handle adversity. That truly allows the spirit to speak. And for Christ to be the one that draws them in. Let's face it. Jesus is the one we were attracted to when we came. And he's the one that they'll be attracted to if you show. But I hope and pray. That today we will seek him first. And his righteousness. That we will lean not on our own understanding. But acknowledge him. That we will live in accordance to his will. And his plan and his mercy. And just put it out there the way that it needs to be. I hope you have a blessed day. Thanks for joining us on the podcast today. I just really felt the need to share that. I mean I didn't even have notes for this. I just had the stories in my mind and went for it. But I hope it's been something that's been enlightening and helpful. And I hope y'all have a great weekend. I look forward to talking to you again next week. Thank you for listening to the Where the Wild Things Aren't podcast. You can get it on all major platforms that are out there. So we thank you for joining us wherever you're listening. If you want to go listen to another one on another podcast, uh, feel free. We, we'd love the plays. Share it with your friends. You can find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash where the wild things aren't podcast. No apostrophe in there, no spaces, but you can find us on Facebook or just search for the where the wild things aren't podcast on Facebook. Send us a message. Let us know how we can be praying for you. Also, if you just need someone to talk to about the Lord, we'd love to do that as well. We try to get a new episode up every week on Friday. So until next week, enjoy your week in the Lord. Thanks for listening to the Where the Wild Things Aren't podcast.